Thanks, Nav. Um, I, I yeah, really appreciate the guys leading us. Really great to be able to um, worship together as family, uh, share communion, remember together, um, acknowledge, as Neville has done, acknowledge that all the emotions, all the feelings, all the journeys that we're all on in the room, but um, the joy is that we, uh, as Neville has said, we're, we're working this out together. I think that is the heart of the Father, that his sons and daughters are working this out as we um, continue to model our way through. Um, Sunday, is, Sunday is significant day. Paul says in Corinthians, this is really strong, strong language, Paul says in Corinthians that if, if it wasn't for today, if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus has risen again, we are a people to be pitied. Like that's, a, that's a big deal. This is, it's, it's that pivotal that, that Paul would say that if this, if this isn't true, what we're celebrating, it, like how embarrassing, <laughs> what a pitiful people to gather celebrating um, this person, Jesus, if the resurrection didn't happen. That's a, that's a big deal. It's really important. Um, so I don't know how you've journeyed over the last number of days. Uh, I hope you found some of the, 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 what, we've, what we've put out in the WhatsApp through the Bible project just helpful as we've journeyed with Jesus, as we've watched him um, in his final week before making his way to the cross. And in John chapter 19, we're, we're told of that we're told of that Friday, that Good Friday when Jesus went to the cross. And we're told that he carried his own cross to a place called Golgotha. And Golgotha is, um, scholars, historians will tell us that uh, Golgotha was a, an old quarry. It was an old quarry that was now being used as a garbage dump. How all the shame and all the humiliation, Jesus carries his own cross out to a place in called Golgotha that was just used for the rubbish, that was just used for the waste. And, uh, and Jesus hung out there and body broken. Uh, all that he endured as he forgave. All that he endured as he demonstrated his love, and then Holy Saturday. Um, and I don't know how you engage with Holy Saturday. I've heard some incredible preaches, incredible uh, memes around like, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And I think there's something really important about acknowledging Holy Saturday. Jesus lay in a tomb, dead. All the grief, all of, the, all of all hope was gone. All the grief, all the despair, all the sadness in that Holy Saturday. And I just, this is a day to celebrate, it's a day to rejoice, but I also want to acknowledge that I think it is important to say that um, we want to see the, the power of resurrection in our communities and in our families. Like Donna was with us a few weeks ago, Donna Jennings from the Evangelical Alliance. She asked the question, do you want to see the power of Christ, do you want to see his power, the power of resurrection in your communities? And we all say yes to that. Absolutely, of course we do. But um, let me just read a couple of verses in Philippians chapter, um, Philippians chapter three. 
Where's Philippians again? Um, Philippians 3, I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. We say amen to that. We say yes to that. But the other part of that verse says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and, the, and in that somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. And so there's something about that Holy Saturday that we can't rush away from. We want to see the power of his resurrection. It's going to require us to also share in suffering. It's going to require us to sit in our own Holy Saturdays. And I don't know how long, and I don't know if you're in a Holy Saturday right now, um, but there is the promise of Sunday. can't give a promise of when exactly your Sunday will come, but I can guarantee you that it will come. And to, be, to, to know that in your Holy Saturday, in spite of what the song lyric says, the Father never turns his face away. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. And I, and I love it about Jesus that he so entered into the human struggle. He entered into the human struggle so deeply that even he felt abandoned by God. That even he felt the absence of God. God had not turned away. God was fully present. God was there, but Jesus entered in so deeply into the struggle of humanity that he even felt the absence of God. He even felt abandoned. And so today, that's by way of introduction, I want to I share for a few minutes um, in John chapter 20. So if, you're, uh, if you have your Bibles or whatever way you want to follow, I think it's going to come up on the screen. We're going to be in John chapter 20, and there, I just couldn't get away from this. Um, this line uh, in John chapter 20, um, I think it's verse 15, where Mary is at the tomb, she's on her own, and she looks and sees this man, and she thinks she mistook him for the gardener, um, supposing him to be the gardener. So that feels like that's what I've just been meditating on the last, um, the last week, the last few days anyway. Um, and maybe it's a wee bit of, because, any, any, hands up, anybody has finally got out to the garden after the winter? The grass finally cut. Thank goodness for, thank goodness for a 14-year-old strapping boy who uh, can cut the grass for us. Um, so the, the garden is now being looked at again. And so maybe that is why, maybe that's why that has been in my head. The idea of Jesus as the gardener, because you just see people back out in their gardens, grass being cut, things being tended to. And I, found, I actually found somebody in the, in the village who um, is a really keen gardener. And I was speaking to him during the week, and I asked him, I, I really need some help. I really need some help um, just brightening up the garden. So he came and planted some bulbs. Oh, come on. <laughs> that is good stuff. Wow. Now, I feel, I, feel like, I feel like the deadly silence means I need to try and re recover here quickly. You, like, you still know what bulbs are. Like, you plant them in the ground, but they also light the thing. No? Nobody? Okay, well, anyway, my so I was talking to my neighbor. We're decide we've decided this, this, uh, this spring we're going to be incredibly well organized. Um, and so I was talking to our neighbour, our next door neighbour, and uh, we've decided that we're going to plant herbs this year. 
And, um, and so to, to know which herb is where, we've decided that we're going to plant them in alphabetical order. And so I was telling this to, um, I was telling this to my next door neighbor, and she says, where on earth do you find time? And I said, right there beside Sage. Well, I, I do like that one. I don't even care whether you like it or not. I think that's funny. Um, oh man, I keep forgetting I'm, like, I'm in church talking about it's Resurrection Sunday. Come on, back in the room. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 10. Andrew's taking off the screen as a protest. I'm not, he's not playing gate ball anymore. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes um, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Uh, really quickly, I, I'm so tempted to keep going back and back. Um, but uh, Mary Magdalene had went to the tomb, seen that the stone had been removed, and came back to tell the disciples. I'm sure Peter and John, um, we've mentioned this before, Peter and John, John, the one who is writing this gospel, says that uh, him and Peter then went on a foot race. They raced to see who could get to the tomb first. And John just wants to mention he beat him. I, uh, John says, I outran him. I got there first. Um, seeing, seeing that what Mary said was true, the tomb was empty, and, uh, and, they, and, they, and then they left. But Mary still uh, stays. Mary still is so upset. And there's just part of me has just wondered. Um, there's no, nothing too profound here, but I just was wondering, was Jesus just waiting until Mary was on her own? This, this woman who had become so fully invested, who in spite of the culture that she lived in, demeaned, downgraded, Jesus had so honored and valued her, elevated her position, elevated who she was, that she was just completely distraught. I wonder, more than anybody, was Mary Magdalene just uh, so despondent more than anybody else? And it just would feel like something that Jesus would do, wouldn't it? That he would wait. There's, he wants to get right. He wants to show himself to his disciples. He wants to show himself to the five hundred. He wants to show himself alive. But it, it, this moment, this what he does. It's the sort of person that he is. It's what so attracts me to the person, the beauty of Jesus, that he would actually wait and watch Mary, and 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 minister to her um, in the midst of all that's going on. Anyway, she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. Saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Um, they have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. There's a picture that I found, um, if you want to put it up at some stage, for people maybe just help visually see. Uh, it's a 15th century painting of uh, Jesus uh, and um, Mary when she assumed that he was the gardener. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Uh, Jesus said to her, Mary, was Again, just this incredible moment upon Jesus uh, mentioning her name, saying her name, she turned around and realized that it was him. And she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Uh, and Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. God. Um, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Beautiful. I wonder if, again, I... I asked, uh, asked, I think I asked Neville the question, I've asked Judith and Jada. Um, maybe, it's just been, maybe it's just a bit of an overthinking. I've just been overthinking this story, but I was, found myself even wondering, like, why, why, what was it that made um, Mary mistake Jesus for the gardener? Um, we sort of played about with the idea, did Jesus... Because you've got to remember, Jesus' body was taken from the cross and wrapped in, wrapped in strips of linen. And when Mary came to the, the empty tomb, the strips of linen were gone. We were wondering, did Jesus maybe find the gardener's clothes and put them on? And maybe that's why she thought he was the gardener. Part of me wonders, was, was her eyes so bleary? Was her, was her eyes so filled with tears that she couldn't see properly? She couldn't see clearly and didn't realize that it was Jesus mistook him for the gardener. I was asking, what would, make, what would make you think if you, were, if you were out to walk, if you were to go to Sleeve Gullion, what would make you think that somebody um, out and in and around the forest was a gardener? It would be because they were down on their hands and knees, into the, into the muck, getting their hands dirty, um, cleaning things up, making things Right, and there's just something about that. There's just something about that that makes me think that, again, that seems like that's the sort of person that Jesus is. It feels if we were even to go right back to the very beginning, if we were to go right back to Genesis 2, to get an idea of the nature and the character of God, we see um, Genesis 2, and I think we miss it. I think we miss it in the English, but in, in, in Genesis 2, verse 7, we're told about how God formed man from the dust. And if you, were to, if you were to read deeper into that, it is literally Jesus was down on his hands and knees with his hands in the muck, forming and making and then breathing life into humanity. There's just something about the nature and the character of God that I love that he gets right down into the mess. He gets right down into... because uh, so intimately involved in the creation of humanity from the beginning... And I still think that is what he does. His hands are in the mud. He is still, um, he is still involved. He is still intimately involved with the, with the mess, with the confusion, with the heartache. As I've just continued to, to hold this, this image of uh, Mary and Jesus and her assumption that he was the gardener, I couldn't help but wonder, was this... Uh, obviously he wasn't the gardener but I do wonder was it some sort of prophetic mistake and I just had that song on repeat that the guys led us in felt like I had it on repeat all week you make beautiful things you make beautiful things out of the dust you make beautiful things out of us hope is springing up from the ground and as I thought about Jesus um in shame and humiliation, out in an old, 
unused quarry, an a, a old garbage dump. You begin to think he is the he is the gardener that turns garbage dumps into gardens. It's like I, I just continue to th- play that song, like he comes and he. And the, the garbage dumps, the mess. Maybe that's a harsh way of putting some of the situations that we find ourselves in. But he comes and, and he, tur- he makes something beautiful out of the garbage. He takes the compost and makes something beautiful out of it. He turns, he is the gardener who turns garbage dumps into gardens. He makes beautiful things out of us. And just that line that we kept singing over and over again, I hope it resonated within you. I hope it did something deep within you. You are making me new. You are making me new. You make me new. You are making me new. It's something that he did, but it's something that he continues to do. He's something that he continues, his hands, he continues to be fully involved in our humanity. He is making all things New, and that is the promise right to the end. If we were to go to uh, Revelation 21, we have this promise that I am making all things new. That is what he is doing right now. He is making all things new. And if we had time this morning, we could talk about how we have sold short the great hope that we have, the great hope that resurrection brings, the great hope that this day brings, is not, and maybe this is, this is contrary to what you've held on to for so long. But our great hope is not that we leave earth to go to heaven when we die. That is not the great hope. That's, that's part of the story. But the great hope is that not that we leave earth to go to heaven, but it's that right now he is making all things new and heaven comes to earth. It's why Jesus told us to pray it. Why would Jesus tell us to pray that, that prayer when the disciples asked him, God, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he told us, pray our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is something, there is something about eternity that we have to anticipate. But the great hope is that, that he is making all things new. He is making, present tense, making all things new. So the great hope is that heaven can come to earth, heaven comes to earth. Um, there's this quote, I need to, to pull it up, uh, or I can find it on my phone. G.K. Chesterton, um, old great theologian, um, speaking of speaking something of what we're what I'm trying to get across here. On the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. But even they hardly realized that the world had died that night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation, with a new heaven and a new earth, and a semblance of the gardener. God walked again in the garden, in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. I love that. Jesus, Jesus said in John chapter 12, uh, verses that have faded, so we've, we've keep coming back to over the last number of months, maybe even longer. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. 
But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so the, the Holy Saturday, um, we, we have in, in, at the end of chapter 19, we read of how Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. And he, he, brought, it, uh, he brought it to a garden, to a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. So he's moved from this garbage dump and his body is taken to a garden, to a tomb that had been unused. And on this holy Saturday, Jesus was a seed sown in a peaceful garden. Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so Jesus on the holy Saturday was a seed sown in a peaceful garden. And on Easter Sunday today, what we celebrate today was the garden then brought forth the first fruits of resurrection. The garden brought forth, forth the first fruits of resurrection. And he is making all things new. And sometimes that means, although we don't like it, although we're not always up for sharing in the pain and sharing in the suffering to get to the resurrection, the reality is that he's a, he's a good gardener and a good gardener prunes in order for there to be more fruit. And Jesus tells us about that in John chapter 15. He's such a good gardener that he's come and pruned those branches that aren't burned fruit in order that we would bear much fruit, in order that we would continue to bring forth fruits of resurrection. And if all of that wasn't enough, it's these words that, that so moved me as I read them over and over again over the last couple of days when Mary was embracing Jesus and he is about to send her back. Don't hold on to me, Mary, because I need you to go back. This woman, this woman receives the first go of the gospel. She receives the first calling to, to go and teach and preach. It's a woman. It's Mary Magdalene who is sent with the first go of the gospel. Um, and we're told in verse that in chapter 20, verse 17, don't hold on to me, Mary, I need you to go. And I, and I, and I wonder to myself again, we speculate, because it all fled. In Jesus' hour of greatest pain, in his hour where he had felt, the, the, even him, Jesus himself felt, felt the abandonment of God, and Peter had denied him, and all the other disciples had fled, and they've sat in Holy Saturday in their grief and their guilt and their shame. You imagine the shame they would have felt. You imagine the guilt that they're feeling. Not, not, not to mention all of the other emotions of sadness and everything that they thought was going to happen is now just gone. All that we invested in over the last three years is gone. All of that. All of the emotions of that. And maybe they're, maybe they're thinking, what would be... What's Jesus going to say to us when he sees us? So Mary comes and tells them that he's risen. I wonder if some of their thoughts would be, oh my goodness, what's he going to say? What's he going to, what's he, what, how is he going to react when he sees me after all that I've done, all that I've said? After running away? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? And Jesus, this is what Jesus wants them to hear first. Jesus wants them, the first thing that comes from his mouth 
through Mary, telling that I'm going to my father. And your father. I'm not sure what it is that so gets me about that. But the first thing that Jesus would want them to say is that he is confirming, in spite of all that they've done, that he is confirming their identity is unchanged. You're still sons, you're still daughters. And so may I go back and tell them that. Make sure they hear that. Make sure that's the first thing they hear upon the resurrection of Jesus. That he is still their father. That we are still <laughs> co-heirs. That in some strange, crazy way, we're still co-heirs with Jesus. Like brothers and sisters with Jesus. He's our father. He's his father and he's, he's our father. Something beautiful about that, I think. And I think it's worth celebrating. It's worth remembering and, and still trying to acknowledge that you are maybe sitting in Holy Saturday, still acknowledging that there is grief and all that you're going through. And I encourage you in some ways to like be faithful to that, sit with that. Do what do the gardener wants to prune. The gardener wants to do some stuff in you in order to make you um, more fruitful. And so the guys are going to come and lead us in one uh, last song. Um, and maybe I could just pray for us if that's okay. Do you mind standing? Is that okay if you can? Jesus, I pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that 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 would be the thing that every one of us would hear today. No matter whether it feels like we've walked away or it feels like we've betrayed or denied, God, in this room right now, in knowing and recognizing that you're with us, I pray that people would feel um, that, that, that you are near. People would recognize and know and fully experience more than just in their heads, God, but just an experience that you have not turned away. That you're with them. That you are for them. That in spite of all of what we've carried and all of the emotions of this week, um, much to celebrate. This is what it's all about. This is the pinnacle. But even in the, in, in the, the highest moments, those moments of where it's, where it's such a high that you would still want to say that the Father still recognizes you as son. The Father still recognizes you as daughter. The Father still recognizes you as his own. His heart has not changed. He is longing to make all things new. But it would be like Paul be able to testify like Paul, uh, old things have gone. Those old things have passed. Those old mindsets, those old things that would that would keep us in a place of shame, that would keep us in a place of guilt, that would keep us in a place of condemnation, that those old things would pass, that those old things would be gone because you are making all things new. Behold, we're a new creation.
Thank you, Jesus, how you demonstrated it to the disciples and to the world that you do not hold our sins against us. But you reconcile. And you've asked us to do the same. So you help us to take up the go of the gospel. Help us to take up um, the go. And even as Neville has mentioned already, we, we still recognize that it seems crazy, but resurrected Jesus standing before them giving them the great commission in Matthew 28, and some, some worshipped and some doubted. But Jesus still sent them to go. Because he was so certain that they'd work it out as they go. He was so certain that those that would that worship, they were in a place of worship that would help those that are doubting. And there were times that it would, it would reverse. He so recognized that they needed each other. He so recognized that they didn't have to wait until they got it all right before Jesus says, Go. Tell them what you've heard. Tell them what you've seen. Tell them what you've experienced. And know this, that I'm with you always. To the very end. So thank you, Jesus. And as we just offer this final song of worship to you, I pray that you would come and meet with us. Spread in the most miraculous way that you would just encounter us. Um, in our own way, thank you that you'd do that. You're so good at doing that. So in these closing moments, we say, calm Holy Spirit.